This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Welcome to The 20 Podcast, bringing you interviews with the best DJs, music producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. I'm your host, DJ Spider. DJ Spider! DJ Spider. What's up? What's going on? Yeah, you. That's right, you. Listening, watching. What's happening? How are you? Everything good? It's all right? We're back again, guys. It's the 20 Podcast. So happy to be here with you. We've been having some incredible episodes. I hope you've been enjoying them. I've been enjoying talking to the people and making them happen. Today is no other. But before we get into it, I got to let you know, today's podcast is brought to you by BeatSource. Thank you, BeatSource, for letting us do this. And thank you to the BeatSourcers for constantly tuning in and listening. BeatSource link is a thing you need to try, okay? Go on BeatSource.com, check out BeatSource link, and you can DJ from the cloud. You can use our expertly curated playlists. You can use our songs that no other record pools have, our edits, our remixes, our transitions, our acapella outs. We got it all, and you're going to want to use it. Go on there. You get a free trial. It's super dope. Check it out. BeatSource, thank you. Yes. And you guys, thank you for the support, Beat Sorcerers. Check out uh, my Instagram, at DJ Spider, D-J-S-P-I-D-E-R. Send me a message. Send me a follow. Say what up. I appreciate it. And uh, let me know some feedback on the podcast, some guests you might want to have on, some questions you want me to ask, all that stuff. And come check me out. I got some Vegas dates coming up. I got a bunch of things coming up. Check my website for more info. But now, let's talk about today's show, guys. We just finished uh, recording, and it was super interesting. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. On today's show, we took a slightly different approach than usual. We have someone who is not a DJ, okay? Someone who manages DJs and producers on the show. He's the founder of the management company Space Camp in Los Angeles, and he manages some incredible Grammy-nominated artists. Some of my faves, some people I truly love, Wookie. Party Favor, Side Piece, Rossi, to name a few. All amazing artists. He's he's uh, the man behind their careers, okay? Um, all of those artists as well get play from us, us open format DJs. I know I play it. I'm pretty sure you play a lot of their remixes and songs and original songs. And if you don't, you should look them up and play it because it will make your set fire. Let's go. Um, so on this episode... He drops some priceless information, truly, uh, if, for especially if you're out there trying to move from just being a DJ, which is totally fine if you're, quote unquote, just a DJ. You know, a lot of people do that. I'm with you. But if you're trying to go from a DJ career to producing and making a career out of it, um, he has some stuff in this episode that you're really going to get a lot out of. He also has some amazing stories about signing official remixes, a lot of business information, some crazy Coachella stories and experiences you got to hear, a lot of um, tips and important information on mental health uh, and all that stuff. I love doing this episode. I think you're going to love listening to it. So please welcome to the show, Ryan Thomas. We're here. Welcome. It's the 20 Podcast, and we're here with Ryan Thomas. Give it up. That's right. We got, we got crowds going in the background. You'll, you'll hear it on the final product. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know 
you didn't have too far to travel, but I still really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy, and um, I'm super excited to talk about um, your side of things, you know, the manager side of things yes. in this world. I think we're, we're always getting DJs on here or different kind of people, and we all speak this kind of one language, but... Um, people aren't always privy to the info that you have, you know, and the experiences that you have. So thanks for coming on. And, um, yeah. How are you, how are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I live a mile away. So this is super easy. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to do this, get into it. I've been yeah. watching your podcasts, enjoying all the episodes. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, well, yeah. So do you want to give the listeners a little background, uh, on who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I run a management company called Space Camp. Uh, we do mainly electronic uh, acts, so DJs in the scene. Uh, manage Sidepiece, Party Favor, Wookie, Rossi, Cloverdale. Um, all those different acts have different priorities and plans and things that they want to do. Um, and then I have a staff of people that work with me who kind of run the ship and make sure that all the artists are, you know, achieving their ge- their dreams. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so Amazing. That's so cool. I mean, it's honestly, like some of my favorite artists, period. Oh, like, I love uh, that. Yeah, in the DJ producer world, like... They're definitely the artists that I check every single thing they put out, you know, like, because I'm like, I think they just have an ear for quality and I don't know what it is, but just dopeness, you know, like something funky and dope, like they know what what they're doing. So I agree. That's we I like to, you know, work with people who have that vision and have their own thing going on and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. They also just seem like hustlers in a good way you know like the kind of people that would really make stuff happen with or without a manager (laughs) which probably makes your job easier and i think is something that is interesting especially to people that are just starting out in the business because i think a dream of a lot of people are oh i need i need a manager i need a booking agent you know and then it's funny because then if i have that conversation with them i ask them kind of what they want to do. And then I'll explain to them, maybe you don't need a manager. Maybe you don't need a, you know, maybe you just need to make things happen and then you'll fall in with the right person. Because I think people get ahead of themselves with think, you know, getting a manager or or thinking of what would be done for them rather than them doing it for themselves. I totally agree. At the end of the day, I think the artists are, they're creating their, their future and, and, you know, they are really the brand and, and the creativity and they have to drive everything. The right. manager is really there to kind of help guide the way, help elevate everything that they're already doing. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of artists are kind of like, Oh, as soon as I get a manager, I'm going to blow up and be famous right. and get all this stuff. And it's like, no, you need to do the real work to like build your fan base and put out the music. And you know, you gotta, you gotta do the work. I think that's the biggest thing is like, this isn't, it's a long-term thing. You know, yeah. you're building a career for the next 10, 20 years, hopefully. Right. Um, and it's not just an overnight thing that happens. Sometimes you see that and I feel like you, you see people blow up and you're like, oh, they're an overnight success. Right. But you look and they've been doing it for way longer. You just haven't seen them do that until recently. So, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, you got to put in the work. I think a manager at a certain point kind of comes when the the demand is there, right? So like if you are starting to put out music and content online and bookings are starting to come in, there's interest and there starts to be some demand. I think that is where you start to look at like, okay, 
you know, is it time for a manager to really help me? Um, but before that, like you can't just put out a song, open a Instagram account, get a manager and then be famous. It just doesn't work that <laughs> you way. Can't? You can't. Know? So Damn. yeah, unfortunately not. Right, I'm going to cross it off my list because yeah. I had that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> um, and what would you, you know, almost like in a very basic sense, like, can you explain what a manager does in respect to maybe because most of your clients or all of them, I guess, are what would they be considered producers that also DJ, yeah. right? And yes. or DJ producers or producer DJs. Correct. But yeah. um, what role does a manager play in their career? Uh, so, yeah, I think the best way to look at that is it's really the artist and the manager that are kind of in business together. Like yes. you and the manager are building a career, right? You're getting on the same page about a vision where you're going, the planning, all of that. You work very closely with that person. They're basically your partner, right? Yes. Um, so think of it that way first and foremost. And then there's the extended team. So a lot of people don't understand the relationship between like an artist and a manager and an agent and all the other people that work for the artist, photographer, right. a tour manager, all these people. But ultimately it's manager and artist kind of doing the groundwork, laying the plans out, you know, be, doing the creative side of things. And then it's, it's the other people around it that handle certain parts of the business. So your right. agent does your bookings, right? So the live side, anytime you're going to go play live in front of people, they handle all of that. Right. Um, the business manager handles your money, Right. Uh, you have an attorney who handles your contracts. You have a publicist who handles the PR, but the manager is kind of handling all of that, or at least hiring the people to handle each of those positions and then managing it all. So you're really a, the yeah. CEO of a business, right? essentially. Right. You know? No, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I think that's something that gets confusing to people a little bit too, is that, yeah, the manager would then find the right booking agent for you, help you yes. find a tour manager that you want to travel the world with potentially and you get along with and you think does a good job yep. and the right business manager for your size of business and the right lawyer that may have the right connections or understand yep. the type of contracts you're going to get into and music you'll be a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is like hiring the right people, that is the key. Yeah. That really is the key because if you hire the wrong people, I mean, that yeah. are putting the wrong advice in your ear or just right. not doing, taking care of your business properly. I mean, it can really hurt your career and like you can have the greatest artists in the world and the greatest music, but like if the team around you isn't properly fit to do what they need to do for you, it's not going to work the same way. Right. So. And how did you, um, end up working with these specific artists. Um, yeah, I kind of company. fell into music a little bit. I, um, yeah, I guess, to, but yeah, pre that, how did you get into yeah. being a manager and starting your own company? So I started off as a promoter. I was okay. doing the nightclub thing when nice. I was, you know, early twenties. And right? fr in where, like what city? Uh, I was in Orange County. At oh, the time. okay. Yeah. So I was doing all Orange County clubs. I started down there. I was doing bars, clubs. There was a club called Sutra. I, back I, in the day. I used to DJ you there. You were yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And AM did too, I think. Did, and Kevin yeah. Scott and, uh, Yep. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was the time when, you know, electronic music wasn't even a thing yet. Right. No. It was all open format. AM was the big dog in the scene. Yes. He was the, the big one. You were up there, like all these guys 
in, you know, doing the open format stuff. And, right. and then we would start like a side room for electronic music and right. the kids would start coming and they'd be like, Oh, like I want to come to the electronic room. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is like building a little bit. And then over the years it got bigger and bigger wow. and eventually things flopped and it became yeah. electronic room became the main room. And then we put like hip hop or R and B or, or open format in the side room. And that's almost what clubs are these days now, you know, it's true. It almost harkens back to like the rave days. It was like when I was first going out like late nineties yep. to the raves, it was like, Oh, you want to go in the hip hop room? You know, there's yeah. like a little room over there, but the main room was like the rave, yes. you know, crazy dance music room. Totally. Um, so it's almost like flipped back to that, but now it's become the massive business side of that where that's what, Vegas clubs are based on at this point. You go yeah. to Omnia, you know, you're going to see a Calvin Harris or, a, you know, some sort of somebody in the main room. And then you go to the heart of Omnia and that'll be the, oh, that's just open format room right. or, you know, open format is basically just hip hop at this point in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> what they call it. But yeah. It's yeah. Like, um, oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So you went from being a promoter in Orange County and building those rooms. And then where did you go from there? And then from there, so I was doing the promotion thing. I was booking a lot of DJs. I was meeting a lot of artists um, right. through that, that system, working with a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, and I actually, it was a party favor with my very first client. Uh, at the time he was in a group in college, um, had a different name. It was like him and another buddy. They okay. were just like DJs just getting into producing, right? They were just DJing college parties and their frat house and things like that. And that was down in Orange County too? That was in Orange County at okay. uh, the school of Chapman, Chapman okay. University. Yep. Um, what was their name? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, I think it was Soundscape at okay. the time. Yeah. Um, so they were doing their thing and then they, I basically started kind of plugging them in some of my clubs and whatnot. Um, and then from there they graduated college. We were not making money at the time. It was still very much like show up for like $150 to, for a gig. Right. And yep. <laughs> play, they play the gig. I'm sure you went through that at yes, some point for sure. early on. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that was kind of what we were doing. And so after college, they both had kind of a decision to make. It's like, yeah. do we pursue this DJ thing or do we go do what we went to school for? Right? right. Or what our parents wanted us to do or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so they were kind of at a crossroads and, and ultimately, um, Dylan, who is party favored now, um, ended up, you know, really committing to it and wanting to move forward the music, the other half you know, pursued his career that he was going to college for and what right. he had planned with his life. And, um, and then I started managing party favor. We changed the name from soundscape to party favor and Great. the rest is history. And then, yeah, amazing kind of all happened from there. That's so cool. Yeah. And I know party favors, uh, I don't know, you know, like I didn't know a lot of that stuff. I don't know the whole genesis of it, but I do remember probably the first time I was hearing him was, through a mad decent Diplo kind of channel of yeah. things, right? Yeah. Was that some of his first records? Uh, yeah, definitely was. I okay. think the very, one of the first things I think that blew up was uh, like a remix for Showtech called, it was a Booyah song. Yes. I remember that song. But, oh, of um, course. Yeah. It's just a bootleg uh, remix we put on SoundCloud. Back then, SoundCloud was the thing. It oh, was yeah. like, you blew up through SoundCloud and through the blogs, right? Right. Um, so we put it on SoundCloud, everybody started playing it, all the big DJs. That's where Party Favor's name really spread around the world. Right. Um, I think Showtech heard it. They hit us up. We ended up making it an official remix. And oh, then amazing. that was kind of like the start of like this real music thing. Um, yeah. 
And yeah. And then from there, the mad decent stuff came. Um, he made a record. Dylan made a record called BAP you. Yes. Um, BAP you, which is now, I think at 50 million streams and it's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yep, that's it. Was a staple in my set still is. I had so many different edit remixes of it or songs. Yep. That would be one song and then it would build up and that would be the drop. And yep. uh, yeah, such a good, I, I love that, that yeah. track. Yeah. It's it, yeah. That's still like those weird biggest. sounds like still burned into my head, you know, yeah, but, no, that's but I love the, melody. Oh yeah. And yeah. I love the, just, I mean, it was cause it was also like at the time of like, I don't know, like I think big room EDM had sort of taken over things mm-hmm. and uh, as an open format DJ, you know, you were like trying to find your way to like play music, but still feel genuine and feel like you knew what you were you were doing the right thing. And right. for that to come out, you're like, whoa, is this mix of hip hop music, the sounds of big room EDM slowed down to a hundred BPMs, you know, the tempo mm-hmm. of hip hop, a hip hop drum beat. But then this crazy other thing gave you the energy where you could still play it in Vegas and have a big cryo hit, you know, yep. but also scratch over it and use it in a Red Bull three style routine or, you know, totally do something. So it was, it was just a very fresh sound, and I think there wasn't that many people doing it yet. Mm-hmm. And then it became ultimate saturated. You know, Party Favor yeah. seems like he has a knack for getting on stuff a bit early, you know, yes, having yeah. an ear to do it maybe even a year or two before. And then it seems like everybody's doing it, you yeah. know, from even the side piece stuff and a lot of his early stuff, you know. Yeah. No, he's definitely paved the way for, yeah. for the sound. Because sure. the twerk stuff got very played out, I think, you know, for certain yeah. things. But then there's these certain ones that just I still play that still work in my sets and are very good. And he's one of them. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that that song was literally pitched to mad decent okay um i want to say it was benzy i don't know if you know benzy oh yeah i, I, I think benzy. good friends with benzy just saw him yeah okay yeah so i think benzy was the one who was like yo we need to take this record to mad decent and right. he showed it to him he might have been a and ring for them or something at the time I'm not sure yeah and he was in um, twerk too because he was doing his own stuff yes. with eccentric and they had that group twerk and they had a few That's tracks because right. i remember i'd mix them with the party yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. right around that same time yeah, yeah totally um, and yeah, and then Mad Decent was kind of the first one to really get behind us as like a legit label. Obviously that's Diplo's label. Yeah. So he was a big supporter in the beginning. Um, we put out Bap You, it blew up, it got like a TV commercial, then it got a movie, then it oh, just yeah. like, it was, it's been in, I don't know, 20 different movies, 20 different commercials now. It's, it's incredible. like, it's crazy. And it's still getting synced. Like it's eight years old and we're still getting sync requests every like month or two. For right. It, you know, that's so, great. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that, and that was kind of the big song that popped party favor off in the beginning. Wow. And, uh, from there we did a bunch more with Mad Decent, you know, Diplo is definitely, you know, helping us a lot, um, in yeah. the beginning and yeah. And then we just kept going from there. That's, that's incredible. So cool to hear, you know, the, the Genesis story of him and, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's like you said, you just make something, it's like we were saying, like make something high quality and just put the right uh, uh, amount of work into it, you know, right. um, and I feel like he probably makes stuff that he would want to hear and play too. So that's yes. why it comes out so good. Totally. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, oh, that's incredible. So, so that was the beginning of you being a manager and learning how to sort of 
be a manager in that game. And then how did it progress from there to getting other artists and then starting your own company, Space Camp? Yeah, so I was still doing the promotion thing at the time when I mm-hmm. first started with Party Favor. Yeah. We obviously like had to build. We weren't making enough money to just survive on Party Favor alone, yeah. you know. Um eventually we, you know, we got an agent, we started booking gigs. That's where the money really started coming. Um for the most part in electronic music, you make most of your money on touring, you know, f- for people who don't know, it's it's right. you make money on music, but like it's hard to make money on music consistently unless you have a big right. hit or just a huge catalog or whatever it may so be. So even those sync requests like you're saying they're cool but they're a bonus. Yeah, they're a bonus. Can't I rely mean, on a it. lot of artists don't get syncs at all, I know, right? Or right. like you just have one, like Bap You is just a special song that yeah. got all these crazy syncs. Like we put out plenty of other songs that have no syncs, right? <laughs> right. So like you can't rely on that. It's just yeah. kind of, it is what it is. But. Right, and the streaming numbers are not the same as like a Drake or something yeah. where it's just astronomical. So they actually make money off of right. it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm you, sure you make money, but it's not like the same level as, yeah, it's not. And there's so many people involved. There's right. a label taking their cut. And if you do a collab now, it's like you and the other artists, right. you know, and there's a singer on it, then they get a cut and maybe there was someone else who helped with some writing or some producing. Right. And so. you also mentioned the, you know, the lawyers and the yeah, dude, agents and the, and the managers and, like, and the, everyone needs something. Down, yeah. You know? Like that's uh, people don't realize like, you know, an artist makes a huge fee or something like this on a gig or whatever it may be. And it's like, man, they're getting paid all this money, right. but everybody's got to get paid off that. You know? Right. Like, like they get a hundred thousand gig, hundred thousand dollar gig. It sounds insane. But then if you figure out all the cuts, yeah, then they get in their bank account and they probably have to give about half of it to the government. <laughs> so exactly. you, you're like, Whoa, that hundred K just turned into oh like $22,000, like, which is incredible, but it's like not what people would think. Right. Yeah. No, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, a lot of artists are walking away with maybe, t- you know, 30% of what they actually made something like that <laughs> at the end of the day. So kind of mind blowing. Yeah. yeah, it is. But, but know. at the same time, I think that's the that's the battle. And that's also the delusion. I think of some people were like, well, then I don't need all that. I'm going to do it myself. But how many people are really successfully doing that themselves? I mean, in a way to scale to those big numbers and to get those opportunities, you need the team around you to, and like you you said, you need the right team around you, right? Yep. Yeah, you totally do. And that's the hard thing is like, as you are growing as an artist, as your career grows, you start to add all these other pieces, right? Yeah. Like in the beginning of your career, you it maybe is just you and a manager working together, right? right. Or it's just you at first. Yeah. And that's it. And then you get a manager and you start working together. And then right. you get an agent usually after that, they start booking your shows, right? You maybe have an attorney by that time too. Yeah. You're not really making much money, so you don't need a business manager yet, <laughs> right? right? Um, you're not really uh, in a place where you can pay for a publicist, so... Mm-hmm. As you grow and get bigger and more successful, you add more pieces to the team to level you up. That's why you have to keep raising the rates. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a tough game for artists. I think it's like, you know, they are constantly in this battle of like, what do the fans want? What do I want to make as an artist? Right. And how do I merge that? And and hopefully what you want to make as an artist is also what the fans want, but that's not always the case. Right. Um, and trends change and go up and down and you're hot one minute and now your sound's not hot anymore. And there's the next sound and you, you know, start going downhill and you have to like pick yourself back up again. And yeah. that's the hard thing with artists, I think is it's, it's right. not like you make it and then you just sit there and you made it for the rest of your life. Like you make it and now you have to work even harder to stay at that point. Yes. 
So I think that's a really good point. And I think that's something people, they go, oh, Tiesto, yeah, he's the king. He can do anything. But it's like if you look at his work ethic and the amount of stuff he puts out and how he constantly tries to stay in tune with the youth and making new things. And, you know, it, yeah. there's people like that are, they stay on top for a reason. Yes, totally. And yeah. even if it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. You know? If you look at a lot of the people who are at the top and they've been there for a while, they have the craziest work ethic. Because yeah. you have to. Like, right. There's no other way to do it. So. That's true. And so how did you then start building your roster and building your company? Yeah. Um, it was kind of just a natural progression. I, I managed party favor for good five years, I think before even taking on any other artists. Yeah. I was also doing the promotion company at the time and transitioning out of that, right. and going full-time into music. Um, and after we got some certain success, then other artists started, you know, coming to me for management, asking if I wanted to manage them. I was very picky the whole time because I just mm. know how much time goes into growing an artist and in all of that. It's not just like, oh, sign an artist and I'll sit back and right. you know wait for something to happen for you, right? Like when I work with an artist, I want to come in and it's like, hey, if we're going to work together, we're going to actually set a plan, put the strategy together, and then we're going to go make it happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the, I was on tour with party favor. We had Wookie actually as a support act on the tour. Nice. Um, and on, on one of the shows he was like, Hey, um, uh, you know, my management contracts up with my current manager. I love what you're doing. I'd love to talk to you about working together. We started talking and he was basically my second client, um, at the time. So signed him. And it was crazy because first opportunity I brought him was this remix for Miley Cyrus. He was like, cool, I'll do it. Sent it to him. He did the remix. Um, we sent it to Miley. They accepted it. They loved it. We put it out. Right. And like a month later, we get a ping that we got Grammy nominated for the remix. I can't believe it happened that fast. It was so fast. That normally does not happen. That's yeah, a very how, rare um, case. How but, do you get nominated that quickly? I mean, it was it was just kind of the timing, I think, of like right. the remix came out and then nominations were happening pretty quick wow. after. Or something, what a but, story. That's yeah. amazing. What song is it? It was uh, Mother's Daughter by Miley Cyrus. Okay. So, yeah. And he got nominated for Best Remix of the Year. And, That's uh, so cool. Yeah. He didn't win, unfortunately, but, you know, yeah, it still was huge really cool. acknowledgement and accomplishment. Yeah. We got to go to the Grammys and walk the red carpet and all wow. that. Wow. So. When was this? 2020, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So right before the pandemic it was, kicked in. I remember it very clearly. It was January, right? It was the day that Kobe passed away, actually. Yeah. It was, he, I remember too. Yeah. He had gone in. The was, way that the Grammys work for dance or a lot of the dance categories is they have a pre-ceremony. Right. It's like not the big one that you see on TV. Yeah. Right. So we go early in the day, like 11 a.m. or uh -huh. something like that for the pre-ceremony. We went in. It was just a normal day. Um, we walk outside and the news had broken that Kobe had just passed God. away. We were at Staples Center, which is Kobe's home. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even so we walk that. outside oh. and all these fans, Laker fans are outside of the theater. Oh. We just walked out of for the Grammys and they're all, you know, doing their, their thing for Kobe. And yeah. it was just a, a weird day because we were so excited about the Grammys, right. but then the Kobe thing happened it gets overshadowed, and it was yeah. basically at Kobe's home, you know? Right. So you it can't was get closer. But, oh, that's nuts. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember I was at Sundance film festival and I had like a gig that night and we had just got up or something and like put on the TV and I was like, what? This can't yeah. be real. I know it, it was, didn't feel real at all. No. Like when it happened. It oh crazy. my God. Um, 
Well, that, uh, wow, what a story, though, about Wookiee and Miley Cyrus. That's amazing. Yeah. So good start to your guys' relationship. Yep. <laughs> Seems like it solidified things really quick. It did. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so what, um, you know, like work, so, so as your time, you know, relationship progresses with them, um, how does it, like, how do you guys decide on what to work on? I guess let's use Wookiee as an example. Like he seems like the kind of artist that does a lot of things. Like I follow him online and I will yes. be like, oh my God, this guy's doing the, you know, beats. I can't release series, Instagram, TikTok. He's also doing like an NFT project where you join on discord and I'm part of a community. Yep. He's also DJing around touring. I mean, he does so many things, you know, probably t 10 other things. I don't know. Like how do you, um, how involved are you with all of those things? Let's say for him, for example. Yeah. Uh, pretty involved. Honestly, I think when I first started working with him, he, he was one of those artists who he was capable of making all these different things. Right. And he liked making a bunch of different sounds and different genres and all of that stuff. He's an right. artist, right? He likes yeah. to be creative and test things out and all of that. I think that is great, but it's also when you think about it from like a brand perspective and building something bigger and, you know, consistency and all of those things, we really had to work with him to kind of like find his thing. Right. Yes. So yes, he does this and he does this and he does this and he does all of them. Great. But right. he didn't really have like his thing yet. Right. That people yeah. knew him for. Yeah. Right. So, um, really what happened was he started doing the beats I can't release um, we started putting those online during the pandemic. They right. really started to blow up. Right. Yeah. And through that, I'm like, okay, we have all these records that you're doing that are basically like bootlegs that we can't put out. Right. right. Cause there's other people's music <laughs> yeah. essentially. And so, but people are loving them. They're getting millions of views. They're blowing up, they're going viral. And then I started thinking, okay, there's gotta be a way we can get these things out. So I started yeah. working on clearing samples and I'm like, how can we clear these samples? I went and started showing some of the, the people on the original songs, what was happening online with TikTok and Instagram and all the stuff we were doing. Right. I'm like, look at all the fans want this. All the kids are commenting. It's got millions of views. We should put this out. It's going to make some money, you know, for you guys and for us, for all of us. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we did it. And we started taking these songs and going to people. Um, we did the, the edge of 17 song. Huge. Um, you know, we made that one and put that. And so out that's and, official. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So good. I love that song. And I mean, I've heard it played everywhere in so many different situations. It always yes. works. I mean, you could play it at like anything, you know, right. the biggest room in Vegas, some small spot, you know, everyone knows the song. It's done so well, the remix. Like yep. it keeps the integrity of the song, the original song so well, but then it's the remix is incredible and the sound of it and the structure of it and yeah. just everything. The cool thing about that type of music too is it's got the the factor of like the nostalgia factor, yes. right? And like my parents know that song. You know, what well I mean? that's what I'm saying. And I was playing I did Marquee Day Club maybe a couple weeks ago and yeah. I'm playing all kinds of music, you know, and I could see there's like a couple tables to the right where some of the people are older or they're with their parents. Or I don't know what's happening. Right. And I remember I dropped that song and you could see their whole face like light up like, oh, my God, yeah. we know this, you know, more than like 
and they'd never heard that version. No, yeah. not at all. And then even yeah. when it kicked in, I was wondering, I'm like, oh, are they going to be like, what is this? But it, it was even better for them, you right. know, because they're in the Vegas environment that they want to experience, but they feel alienated by the music. Yep. But now they're sucked in and they're they're back at home, you know, yep. in a way. So totally. it's like gives them that comfortable feeling while hearing something new yeah exactly yeah and that song is like so it can be so big because it can work in so many different settings right yeah. like it can be played in a mall it can be played totally. in footlocker or like, yeah you know some store like that um and i hear it like i hear it random places like that or i'll go to a football game and they'll be playing on on in the stadium totally you know? it's a perfect song so, for that yeah yeah it's cool but that the sample game and like clearing that stuff is not easy that is like i'm sure it is it is a road that you have to go down sometimes. And it's like the way the samples work is a lot of these songs, people don't realize like, it's not just one artist that made them right. There's, there's a producer and there's a writer and there's the singer and there might be five to 10 people on a song. And every single one of those people usually have to sign off on the use of the song. Right. So sometimes we go to one person, get a full clearance done, but normally it's like, we got to go to three, four, five different people. We can't get a hold of them. They're, you know, they have, they haven't been in music for 30 years cause we're doing an old song. It's like all right. these things happen. Oh my God. Yeah. But I saw you just did that. The Motown one, uh, my girl, right? Yes. That's a big one. Yeah. Huge. I think that'll probably be even bigger than edge of 17, but I mean, I think <clears> it's going to be huge because yeah. it's the same, you know, he keeps the integrity of it. And even weirdly enough, like the way he used the side chaining of like the, Mm-hmm. The voice, the voice, like almost yeah. sounds natural, but it's dance music. Like yeah. it's like my girl, yes. and like the way it like flows, like it's like so perfect. It's yeah. crazy. It almost makes the bass line like I don't know. I've done. Yeah. I've been at home messing around a bit with it and figuring out some songs it goes with, and it sometimes it goes so perfectly. I'm like, oh, I love this. Amazing. And um, yeah, I could see that being played everywhere because I mean that's even more universe who doesn't like a Motown song on the planet earth. Right. I mean, I think, and then, cause you know, even edge of 17, some people are like, Oh, that's rock. I don't know about that. Yeah, you yeah. know? So, right. Um, this is, this is everything, you yeah. know, and the way he did it and all that. So I just know, I saw on his Instagram, what yesterday or the day before he was like, it's official. Yeah. You know, we dropped the video today, like oh, you this did? morning, like a couple hours ago. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to check it out. Yeah. It's so good. cool. It's funny. I'm so glad that it's all working like that for him, you know, and that you're able to do that. And that shows that, you know, you're, your power as a manager, you know, to help him bring this thing to fruition and make something that even seems impossible possible. Yeah. Um, I think that was the thing. The way I looked at it was like, we had a a decision to make. We were like, all right, we can either do what you do already, right? Try to lean into this, these things that you're doing, these edits and, and whatnot. You're so good at them. Yeah. Or we can try to just go a different route and just do original music and do what everybody else is doing. Right. And I was like, that's just not authentic to you. Right. Like you like doing this, this is your thing. Like, let's just lean into it. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we did and and it, and it worked out. Um, right. And we've done three big songs now in a row that have been like sample. So what was the edge of 17, my girl. And what was Um, the other one in between that was to be real. Um, Oh, so good boss. I mean, I love that. I play it everywhere all the time. And I nice. see DJs playing it. I see like Chami, like every yeah. blend. Like every time you post a clip of their set, it's like, to be real. Yes. You know, it's yep. like the crowd's like, oh, 
Exactly. Um, so good. I mean, I think it's just the, like you said, the nostalgia, the well-known songs, the way he's remixing them, the structure of it, the arrangement, I guess, you know, of the way right. he's arranging the, the song. And they're all... They're perfect to catch the ear of the audience, but the DJs as well. And I, yes. we were discussing this earlier. I think that um, we, you know, we should get more. I want to hear the story of it, but just like side piece, you know, party favors, um, other project. Yeah, the on my mind song. I was saying how it just instantly gravitated to DJs. You know, it was the kind of song you heard your friend play, you heard someone play on Instagram, and you're like, I need that. Where do I get it? Instant yes. Shazam, what is this? And then I'm going to make my own edit, and I can do so much stuff with it. And I think having those songs that that gravitate to the DJs, which is, you know, what we talk about on here all the time, like, I think that's such a big help to spread it everywhere, right? I mean, yeah. oh, um, totally. Beyond. That's, a, <clears throat> that's a big part of the strategy, especially in our world and electronic yeah. music and whatnot, right. is, is really getting it to the DJs. I think those three records for Wookiee actually are a good example because Edge of 17 and My Girl, right? Those two songs are songs that DJs want to play, but they also can stream, they can be used in all these other things. So they yes. can be really big, right? Yeah. To Be Real is not so much a streaming song, but it's almost getting more DJ support than the other songs because yes. it's a little cooler. There's not as much of a vocal there, right? right? So that song, you look at it and it's like getting more support than any of the other songs DJ wise, but the streams are lower than all the other songs. Yes, because it's almost like the other two, a little bit more of just a traditional song mixed yes. with the dance music. And that's like dance music with a little piece of the horn that everyone recognizes and the to be real boom. And then it just yep. kicks in it, more like the traditional songs that are in the in that type of genre that are killing it right now. Right. So that's yeah. true. And you do see it played at more of the festivals and yep. the big nightclubs. And I'm sure the other ones do, too. But like you said, you'll go to a Dodger game and hear those other right. ones, you right. know, yeah. and everyone will be singing and hanging with their two year old kid or their 90 year old grandma and yep. everyone's loving it. But yeah, yeah. But getting the songs to the DJs like in their hands, right. especially getting it to them ahead of time, that is like a big piece of this game. Right? Yeah. And it's like at the end of the day, a lot of the big songs you hear come out you've heard them for a few months because all the DJs are yeah. playing them. They're getting hyped up, right? People are starting to talk about them online. So by the time they come out, they just instantly right. go to the top, you know? Is it better to like, if you do a remix like a My Girl or Edge of 17 and you're just like, I know this is good. Do you think it's better to seed it out to all the DJs and have everybody playing it and then you go and try to pitch the people on clearing the sample and clearing the remix or vice versa? It depends. I think it you can go both ways. Right. So sometimes the DJs playing that song will help you get that clearance across right. the line, right? Yeah. Um, so that could be, but it's also like a little risky doing that too. Right. So True. Yeah. I don't know. It can go either way. I, no... I normally kind of like let it build online, let it do its thing online. Once yeah. there's like the interest and the fans really want it and you can tell there's something there with it, yeah. then I take it to the label or whoever from there. Is know? there a best place to test out um, these songs in a way where w how Wookie does the, you know, the Instagram clips, but is there yeah. like TikTok versus Instagram reels versus YouTube shorts or something else I'm not mentioning? Is there one or Twitter or is there some yeah. or X, whatever you call it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there some place to test it before you do the big push that is a good place to see, oh, it's kind of getting yes. some love, you know? Yeah. I mean, social media is easy, right? right? I think like 
that's, I mean, Wookie was really doing it with his beats. I can't release video, right. right? That was kind of, it was a cool thing online that was helping his algorithm, helping his followers, all of that. But ultimately he was feeding new music to the fans like every week. Right. right. So there was actually a time where we took off almost like a year of putting out official music, right? Didn't release anything on Spotify, Apple, just did everything on TikTok and Instagram. Right. Normally that would hurt your career. It didn't in our case because we were still putting out music and giving music to the fans. Even right. though it wasn't on Spotify and Apple, they were getting it through Instagram and TikTok, yeah. right? And so it was bringing in more and more fans, building more momentum for him. Right. And yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, him doing it on Instagram and TikTok were probably the biggest things. TikTok especially. Yeah. I think TikTok is like a very crazy world where you can just kind of dump content on there and you don't know what's going to pop off or what's not. Right. Instagram, it's a little more like it's a lot harder to go viral on Instagram or have right. something really pop off. But yeah. TikTok, I think, you know, a lot of people think of TikTok like, oh, you know, kids doing dances and stuff like that. But no, it's so anymore. much more than that. You yeah. Know? It really is just a social platform like right. any other platform. So is there, yeah. does either one give you like um, more? loyal fans or like stickier, you know, fans. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, uh, so I think like ones with, that will be more like an actual fan that will support totally. your career rather than like those cool, bro. I'm sure it. I'm out. that's actually a problem with a lot of people going viral. I think is that right. they go so viral, they get all these people coming to their page, but those people just like that one thing that they yeah. did that went viral. They're not a real fan or don't really like their music right. or it's, whatever it is from my yeah. outside not as educated perspective, I would think TikTok would be the less real fans for some reason. I yeah, don't know why. I agree. Just because I think because the way the <laughs> platform works and it's constantly distracting you from the next thing you forgot you even liked something five right. minutes ago. Yeah, and on Instagram you're more like, oh, I'm following this person's life or yes, in a way. I agree with that. I think that's true. Um, I think. Yeah, when you pop off on TikTok, it's a lot harder to convert those people to be real fans. Right. So. But it's good. But the numbers go nuts. So it's good to yeah. show like the whoever you need to show, I right. guess, <laughs> to get a But shoot. it can hurt you sometimes. Like, let's say you go viral on Instagram, right? Yeah. And you blow up and you gain 100,000 followers because this one post went crazy, right? <laughs> right. And now, but you only had 20,000 followers. So now you got 120,000 followers, right? But 100,000 of those 120,000 followers aren't even your real fans, they right? They just like that so now push when, follow. When you post something, your engagement goes way down because right. those 100,000 people oh aren't even caring about so what you're So it's you're like posting. you're engaging 8% of your fans yeah, or something you know, when 8% would have been good, I guess, yes, of the smaller number. Exactly. Or not 8, but yeah. Like I, I know you might you get the same amount of likes and comments wow. in that situation than you yes. would, you know? So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean- right. Going viral is a funny thing. I, I hate saying the word going viral, but it's, you know, it right. is what it is. Right. Um, uh, wow. That's interesting. So w what do you think are the most important things that all artists should focus on? Like anybody that you're working with or people that are working with anyone else? Yeah. Um, I mean, the music first and foremost, obviously, yes. I think it's, you know, that is the product that you're selling. Like yeah. just like any other company, right? You got to make an amazing product. And then it's everything else around it. So start with the music, focus on that, make sure it's good. Um, you know, to define your craft, right? Like yeah. keep working at it. So that's a given. Everybody knows that. I think a lot of people, a lot of times rush music out and they do things like they put something out and it doesn't go well for them. And they're like, I don't want to do that anymore because no one reacted to it. And they, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And yeah. people don't understand like this is a 
a building game, right? Yeah. So it's like brick by brick, like the first few bricks probably aren't going to do that much for you. Right. But yeah. eventually one brick is going to kind of be that thing that people start really liking and whatnot. And then it, it grows and grows and grows. So Makes sense. I think music first and foremost, for sure. Um, creating content, posting that content, making sure that that content is authentic. So authentic content and consistently putting content out on social media. Right. So ultimately that is how your fans are going to connect with you is through the content that they see online and right. what you do, you know, in a live setting. Yeah. But, but that is really the third point is the fan connection. Um, I think that's where a lot of people mess up. I think a lot of artists are really good with the music. They're really good with, you know, the brand, um, making things look good on Instagram, all of that. Yeah but they kind of have a wall and they're just like putting things out there and they're not engaging with the fans or right. listening to what they're saying or having any conversations or any back and forth. It's just kind of like, here's this, hope you guys like it. I'll be back in a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it can't be like that. It needs right. to be, here's this. What'd you guys think? They respond, you respond back. Now right. you're starting to build that connection. You know, that's right. a very basic, you know, uh, example, but yeah, that ultimately if you don't have the fans and the true fan base, then you're not going to be able to build a long-term career. That's, right. that's how I really feel. It's like you really need that base to carry you through everything. And right. you'll see some of these people like online, you go and you look and they have very little Spotify monthly listeners or, or not that many Instagram followers or whatever, but they can go play a club and sell a thousand tickets the day they announce and you're like, how did they do that? Yeah. It's because their fan base is so connected to them. Right. So, and I guess there's different ways to build that, but nowadays social media is a good step. And then until yeah. you figure out other ways to, in, are there other ways to interact with the fans or have that yeah. back and forth besides if you're not in comments a, on social media? Yeah, I mean, that's all you have until you're touring and right. able to get out in front of them. And then what, what I mean? do so, meet and greets and do special things in yes. person and things that they'll remember or things that will happen in person that may go right. viral or I know we're a big part that. of it is just making them feel like they're part of the journey, right? Like, yes, it's not just a you know, here I'm doing this. Hopefully you guys right. love it. Right? right. It's like, Hey, I'm doing this. Like, I want to hear what you guys think about it. And I want you to be part of what we're building. Right. They want to feel like people like us like things like this or yeah. something, right? right? Like that kind of thing. Like, Oh, you're, Oh, you're part of this. I'm part of this. We're all part of this. And totally. they, they have to be the sort of band leader of whatever this is, you yep. know, and whether it's songs we don't, can't release or whatever, you yeah, know, type of thing that sure. makes sense. That's, that's interesting. And it's building the community and, and it's even with as much as people were making fun of NFTs and crypto and metaverse, there are a lot of smart elements of it. And I still do think all oh, that yeah. stuff will get big. I mean, I don't know about every NFT ever, but like the, the community, but element. I think the community element yeah. is the smart thing. And that's why Twitch discord, live streaming, all these things, TikTok, live streaming, all these things work because it's the people finding each other, you yep. know, to all be together and then having the thing that they look to, whether it's a, a rapper or a DJ or, you know, yep. yeah, that kind of thing. No, it makes it like, Hey, we all like the same thing, right? right? So that connect, creates connection between the fans. And when the fans feel right. connected with each other, then that even strengthens the connection with the artist even more. Right. So, um, but I think another, you know, besides just engaging with them, I think the other point is 
artists, a lot of times they're putting out stuff as if they're the artist, right? It's like, Hey, here's my tour. Here's my song. Here's, you know, a cool photo of me doing this or whatever. Yeah. Fans want to see your life. They want to see that you're a real person. They want to see the other side of it. And when you show that and really tap into that and start to get vulnerable and all of that, I think that's where, you know, that's where the connection really strengthens from there. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that was even, it almost seemed like odd future was the beginning of like a lot of that, you know, like we were like, who are these people? And they're sharing endless videos. They're doing all this stuff, but they're also putting out amazing art and weird things and provocative things and things that people want to be a part of in the community. And it was, that was definitely one of the first things where I noticed that whole ecosystem of that and the oversharing working in a way where before you're Mm. like, why are people showing all this extra crap, you know? And then now you're like, Oh, it's kind of cool because they want to feel like they're part of part of the journey. Like you said. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Those are the things I think it's focus on music, focus on authentic content and doing that consistently. Um, I think it's the fan connection. Those are the three main things I would say. And then from there, I think a lot of artists miss out on this point. Um, which is the planning and the strategy, right? Like a lot of artists are kind of just going with the flow, right? Uh, And they're like, okay, I have a new song. I'm going to put it out, right? And then I'm going to see what happens from there. And there's no real plan. It's hard to plan early in your career because you kind of do have to just do that and put things out. But eventually you need to have a plan and a strategy to really do this game the right way. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, once one song comes out, it's like we have something lined up to come out next, but we also are looking at it being like, we might need to adjust this plan, right? And if this song blows up, then maybe we aren't going to put out another song for a little while. We're going to let that song do its thing. Right? right. So there's all those different things. Right. That And that's where a manager can come help you give advice and create the plan yes. and bring in the right people or take out the people, the wrong people or whatever yep. it is. Totally. That's that's interesting. And, um, and so what... What does it mean for an artist to have a vision? I know you mentioned that um, yeah. to me before. Um, I think having a vision is really just kind of, you know, knowing a good idea of where you want to go and where you see yourself in the future, whether yeah. that is a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of artists, like I said, are are really just kind of going through the motions and going with the flow and they're not necessarily always following that vision that they have Yeah, maybe because it's, they don't, they don't fully believe that they can achieve it or whatever those, those reasons are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a vision can be as simple as like, all right, you know, I'm this weekend, I'm going to go and do these things this weekend, right? In your head, you're like, I'm picturing myself this weekend going and playing golf with my friends and going to the movies with my wife and, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. That's a, just a very small part of it, right? right. But you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do this on Saturday, right? And then maybe um, something comes into play where you're like, to get this vision done, I need to, you know, get over this hurdle, right? So, then you got to figure out the strategy. How, what's the strategy to get over the hurdle, right? Yeah. And it could be as simple as like, oh, I want to hit up my boys to go golfing on Saturday. And uh, I hit my group chat. Hey guys, you want to go golfing on Saturday? They're all like, oh man, I'm supposed to spend my time with my girlfriend, my wife, or let me ask and yeah. let me see, right? And it's this whole thing. 
And then maybe the strategy is like, well, how about we get the girls a spa day and they go to a spa day while we go <laughs> golf and then we all meet up together after and have dinner, right? right? And now the girls are happy and the guys are happy and you all get to hang out still together. And, you know, that's your strategy to get your golfing done with the boys that you want to get done on Got Saturday, it. you know? Um, but, you know, on a bigger level, I think it's like, it's really knowing like, hey, I'm at this place in my life, in my career. I want to be here, right? And how do I get there? You may not know all the steps to get there, but if you know where you're at now and what your end goal is and you just start, like you'll figure out the next steps along the way. Right. So, so yeah, I think ultimately the vision really just comes down to, you know, kind of clearly knowing where you want to go and then just making the plans and the strategy and actually executing on making those things happen. Um, and the vision can change, right? Like what yeah. you envision now, five years from now might not be the same because all these things in life happen, right? And it changes your outlook on things and what yeah. you wanted and all of that. So, you know, like we were talking earlier, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to have a baby in two months, right? Congrats. And, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love cars, right? I love my sports cars and things yes. like that. And now I'm kind of thinking like my next car purchase, I'm not thinking cool and right. get something that's this and this. I'm right. thinking what's the safest car out there, you yeah. know, and what's going to be easy to get my kid in? Do I need to get a minivan with a sliding door and, you know, all those things. Yeah. So, Oh, but I was just never for everyone out that. there. He showed me this Toyota minivan that uh, is like <laughs> over 150 grand and has a sliding door, but it's also super dope. Looking, it's really so. cool. It's basically an SUV with a sliding door, like a minivan. It's pretty incredible. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> the minivan game's about to change, y'all. That's right. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that's that's really important and. I think we discussed a little bit with finding your sound, but do you want to expand on that as well? I mean, how important is it for an artist to find their sound, to stick with the sound, and do you have to keep that sound forever, or is there just a time period, or you sure. know, yeah. how does that work? Yeah, so, I mean, finding the sound, you hear a lot of people talk about that. I think a lot of artists sometimes are like, how do I find my sound? What does yeah. that mean? Like right? Wookiee, I mean, he obviously is good at everything, like you said. <laughs> right. So his sound was when I first started working with him, he didn't have a sound, right? right? He was doing this and this and, you know, all these different genres and all of that. Um, and so then we, we really started, you know, working on the brand and the music. And like I said, just leaning into really what was working for him. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it was like, Hey, this is working for you. Do you also enjoy doing this as an artist? Are you proud of this work and this genre that you're making or whatever right. direction we're going? Mm -hmm. And if you're happy and motivated with that direction and it seems to be working and the fans are liking it and all of that, then like that, let's go that direction. Right. Yeah. So, but I think ultimately a lot of artists, they're capable of making all kinds of stuff, right? There's a lot of great producers and DJs out there who can do all types of different things, but to have a, a long lasting career and to really build a brand, you need to narrow your focus down and really like have a sound, yeah. you know? Um, and so that's really just a focused sound that's in, within some sort of genre, um, whether or not those parameters or how wide those go, you know, yeah. it's, it's up for debate, but right. ultimately it's consistency with the music and the sound because when a fan hears something and they like you for this one song, they want to come back to the next song you put out 
and have it be similar to what they liked before. Right. Right. And that's not to say that you need to keep making the same song or anything. You obviously be creative and make different stuff, but ultimately it can't be all over the place for you to build a brand. Right. Um, now that being said, I think there's also like time and moments in time and timing and things going up and down and getting hot and cold and all that too. Right. So like as an artist, you might, you know, be on this certain sound that's really hot for a a moment, especially in electronic music, this happens, right? And you kind of become the king of that sound, get really big, but now that sound starts to go away and there's a new sound. Like right now, house music is definitely the thing that's taken over electronic music, right? Right. And you see all these people, you know, doing house now. um, And a lot of the other genres like trap or whatever it may be are not as popular anymore, right? Right. But eventually house is going to probably not be as hyped as it is. Trap's probably going to come back and be hyped again. Right. And everything goes in waves. So you kind of just have to go with what, you know, the market is feeling and how like the industry looks at things, but also like what you want as an artist. Yeah. Um, But ultimately I think try not to be all over the place and try to have a more focused sound. It's almost (laughs) like when you're DJing and you like an open format, you know, from an open format DJ perspective, but it's like, it's almost like when you're DJing and you're reading the crowd and you're trying to get them to trust you, you know, you hit them with a lot of stuff where they start to feel comfortable and dancing, having fun. Then halfway through, you can switch it up because they already trust you. Yes. But if you did the crazy stuff in the beginning, they might just walk away and be done. Or they hear one thing and then go, Oh, this sucks. And it, it's almost like, being an artist, like I, you know, Skrillex, obviously he's one of a kind and there's different people, but I feel like he had, he was a dubstep person, you know, or he got, he had the categorized, he was pigeonholed in the one thing, but then you get everyone to trust you on just your sound of just quality and good, you know, dope, whatever, something that's good quality and really dope. And then, and they trust you and they feel part of the community, but getting them to trust you that you make dope stuff. So then you can start changing the genres and they still know you do dope stuff. And even with party favor where it's like, okay, all this stuff is this BPM, this stuff. Oh wait, he's doing a new project side piece. It's house music, but I know he makes dope stuff. So I know his like quality of sound and all his choices, you know, will go into that new group. Right. And so I guess that's kind of a cool way to look at it. Right. Where you, you have the vision. Cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, well I'll I'll do this. And then I'm stuck in that or, or I'm scared to change or they just want the same thing, but you can change just once you get everyone to trust you in a way. And you've established yourself as I'm authentic. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm making music. And now I'm going to branch out into these other styles or something. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, Skrillex alone, like he's probably the biggest, yeah, you know, example of that, right. right? Where he can do all these different things and yeah. fans still love it. Right. Totally. So, but you see, there's still the certain songs he puts out that are like, those are the ones that the fans really gravitated to. Totally. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Oh um, yeah. Even when it'll come out the, yeah, totally. I know what you're saying. You got to earn your stripes to get yes. to that point. Yeah. You know? so. Right. Or Diplo or there's different Diplo, artists yeah. that they know how to do it, you know, and it's hard, but I think that that's, that's something I've seen over time. Cause I, I remember thinking, Oh, if you put out hip hop, you can't do anything else, but it's like not necessarily. Right. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. that's interesting. So what about like things that artists and managers struggle with? Um, 
You want to speak on that at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, God, there's so many things. Right. Um, (laughs) um, I think, I think the pressure of just the industry of just having to constantly be on and be on point and, you know, constantly having to deliver, you know, this next hit or whatever it may be. Um, I think it's hard when you get success because you kind of, you know, success is great, but at the same time, it's also like, man, I got to now like do this again. Right. And I got to keep doing it. Right. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they have one big thing that gets them noticed. Right. And like, that's what a lot of people talk about, like a one hit wonder when they have one thing and then you never hear from them again or whatever. A lot of people get noticed off of one thing, but it's being able to repeat it and do it over and over again. That gets you the respect. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think artists are under a lot of pressure all the time. They're, you know, you got a manager hitting them up for things that they need to do. Your labels, like you need to promote this record, your agent and the promoters are like, you need to promote this show you have coming up or this tour. Right. So they're constantly battling with like needing to promote a million things. Um, the hard thing about that is like, you want to promote these things to your fans, but you don't want to shove it down their throat or feel like a promotional machine or (laughs) whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, finding the balance between promotion and how to keep things authentic and all that is, is a struggle for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, even just like mental health, right? Like just, just staying in good health, like this job is tough on, right on the, the artist side, on the manager side, on, you know, a lot of people that work in this industry, it's fast pace. It's like, you know, during the week I work in an office, right. I work uh, with a staff of people and then on the weekends, all my artists are touring. Right. right. And so my job never stops. Like, yes, I have weekends off. Sometimes I go travel with them or whatever, right. but if something happens at a show, like I'm got to pick up the phone. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're clocking into their job a lot of times at 12 at night, 1 yeah. AM, right? Like in Vegas, we play like 1 30 AM is when we start sometimes. Yeah. So like the set goes till three, three thirty, yeah. Right. And, and you know, I can't be awake all, all those times. So luckily there's a team <laughs> of people who, you know, deal with some of those things, but yeah, constantly like you'll be awake with the baby at that time. Yeah. 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 True. <laughs> I will. You're like, yeah. what's up guys? FaceTime. Here we yeah, go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, uh, right. That, that makes sense. Um, so, so you, um, yeah, I mean, there must be all types of, um, struggles, but there must be ways that you guys can work together successfully as well too. Right. Like, yeah, I think you, I think first off you need time off, right? Like this yeah. job is, you know, you're traveling, like traveling alone is tough. Like right. people don't realize how yeah. much being on the road just takes it out of you. Yeah, Even really if you're does. just going from one city to the next and playing a show and some people are like, oh, DJs have it so easy. You just pull up and plug in and right. play for an hour and a half or whatever and then go home. Like it's so much more than that. You yeah. Know? Um, but, but yeah, I think the traveling is tough, you know, on the road. Um, And I think, yeah, I think, you know, what happens with a lot of people is they go play these shows and they get these rushes of like dopamine hits, right. Of like being in front of fans and having all this energy and all this stuff. And then they come back off the road and they go home and now they're just like sitting at home working on music or whatever. And it's going from like this crazy place where you're in front of thousands of people and all these eyes on you and the spotlight and, you know, all this energy to going 
back home to the complete opposite. And right. sometimes it's just you, if you're not married or have yep. a girlfriend or a roommate, like you're just in your home and you're like, man, I just came off playing for like 50,000 people and now I'm just alone, <laughs> you I know? know? Um, and so I think that is a, a hard balance, right? It's, it's really it's hard. going from one extreme to the other all the time. Yeah. Um, and that happens weekly with these guys, right? They're on the road playing these big festivals, come yeah. back home and then they, you know, are at home for five days. So to me, it's, it's really just, you got to be healthy, right? Yeah. Like you can't, you can't be a DJ that's drinking every night, doing drugs, like, a lot of people right. think like, oh, that's the cool thing to do. Like, go try that for six months and then tell yeah. me if you can sustain that. You right. know, <laughs> it's like, and I um, hope you're alive after. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, so, seriously, wow. Like, a lot of the biggest art- artists are super healthy. Yeah, like, they eat very healthy. They work out every day. You know, all these different things, and you kind of have to to be at this level. You know, yeah. Um, if you look at some of the biggest entrepreneurs, like their their health is so dialed in. It's you know? true. So like eating good, um, eating clean, you know, is really good. It helps with just like stress, anxiety, brain fog, all these different things. Right. Um, that's a simple one, but it's hard cause you're tempted with all these things, especially on the road. It's hard to eat. Oh good. yeah. You go to yeah. Vegas. They're like, where do you want to eat? We yeah. got the craziest stuff ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, or working out is, is a big thing. Like that doesn't need to be like lifting weights or anything. It's even right. just like getting physical activity in, yeah. you know? Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of cold plunges. I, really? I recently got one at my house. I use it like almost every day. Um, that's been great for me. It just kind of like helps like keep me in balance. It helps with stress, anxiety. How long do you go in it? Like three and a half minutes. Oh man. Yeah. How did you first get into that? I mean, it wasn't fun. <laughs> um, it's definitely the thing right now. I mean, I only hear positive things about it. I yeah. haven't really, I tried to like, someone else was like, I just put my shower super cold at the end. And I was like, all right, I'll try that. So like I started trying yeah. that. And I was like, all right, it wasn't so bad, but yeah. I know you have to go with full on I mean, cold plunge. That is really how I started. Like yeah. I was like, all right, let me try the shower thing. So yeah. I started doing the cold showers. I'm like, okay, I feel a little bit better, but like, it's just a tiny bit. Right. Right. So then from there, I'm like, okay, now I'm like at least used to the cold showers. And I went to this place um, called Paws here in LA. They have like a few different locations. They do like sauna, cold plunge. They do like IVs and like all these different health things. Okay. Um, But you can do what's called contrast therapy. So you go into a sauna and then you, and the cold plunge is in the same room. So basically you get really hot first, right? right? Which makes it easier. Then you jump out of the sauna, go and jump in the cold plunge for three and a half minutes, get out, go back in the sauna and do that like a few times. Um, that's how I got into it is I would do sauna first, golden cold plunge, do the back and forth thing, made it a little bit easier. Um, but then I eventually like loved the cold plunge. So I bought one, yeah. got it delivered to my house and now I don't even do the sauna. I what do you love about plunge. it? Just invigorating or clears your mind yeah, and stuff like that? It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you go on like a, a run and you get like what they call like runner's high, right. Yeah. You just like feel good and you know, want to talk to everybody and right. like all of that. It's like that in, in a way it's, it's almost like a dopamine hit, yeah. I guess is, you know, um, right. it's hard to explain. It's like when I first like was hearing about cold plunging and watching everybody do it. And obviously it became super trendy and yeah. was online everywhere and all this stuff. I was like, okay, like this looks like it's just going to be a fad. Right. But then I tried it and I'm like, wow, this actually like really yeah. works. So out of anything I've ever done, like health wise, that's the biggest impact for sure. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yep. Um, 
that's uh yeah i mean i've been i don't know i've been meaning to try it but <laughs> yeah it's just funny like as a society we like work so hard to like cre- invent water heaters and like I know. buy a nice house with a warm shower and a bathroom we're like you know what i'm gonna spend even more money on a freezing bath in my backyard totally. it sounds so ridiculous <laughs> it really we're is. like what we're insane but it, but it makes sense i i get it um oh cool yeah. are there any other sort of mental health uh tips or things to discuss, you know, you think that we should talk about? Um, I think a lot of artists get like very depleted with their, their vitamins and minerals and things like that because they're on the road, they're stressed, right? There's all these things happening. Right. And so I think keeping those in check is really important. A lot of people don't think about that at all. Right. Right. um, like I think half of America is like magnesium deficient, for example. Right. So like just getting more magnesium in your body, um, just little like supplements, like a daily supplement, like a, a you know, uh, a vitamin, daily yeah. vitamin, things like that are simple. Right. Um, but really just keeping up with all of that. Like yeah. have, I have a little thing on my counter. I have like magnesium. I have my, you know, daily vitamins. I have my probiotic. I have yeah. like some other stuff and that's right. kind of my routine, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think doing that, I do IVs every once in a while. I go like once a month and get an IV just to kind of keep me feeling good. But yeah. Ultimately, that's what it's about for me. If I feel good and like, and I'm feeling good, then my work is going to be better and everything I do is going to be better. So I actually focus on that a lot now. I used to kind of just put it to the side and be like, I got to do other work. Right. But I'm like, this work will be way better if I put this work in first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, like you said, it's really hard. I mean, I've described it before as like, yeah, you're going light speed almost and then immediately stop, you know, like yep. you're out, I'm be out for a week doing gigs nonstop and then I'm back home and, and it's such a contrast. It's insane. Like it you is. said, so it messes with your brain. It messes with everything. It messes yep. with like, what should you be, what should you be doing? What should we work? How should you feel? You know, everything it's, it's totally. so hard and there's so many ups and downs. We can get reject it you know songs can get rejected songs can get picked up gigs residencies all types yep. of things there can be so many ups and downs and the patience that you have to have before you get these big shows or you get to go on that tour you get to make the song with someone and so it can feel like your life's on hold or on pause or you know and the money too can go up and down so drastically i'm right. sure especially with we're at the mercy of things like pandemics or whatever it is you oh, know yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there, all of those things play into, I think the mental health of a DJ an artist and, and anyone, but especially DJs and artists, it's hard to, to control that and to, to stay grounded in a way. Right. And just social media just makes it worse these days. So much worse because like, you know, of course you're going to pick up your phone, look at it and see only the coolest, best things ever because that's all anyone's going to post about. They're not like right. boring day. Yeah. Cra- hanging out, yeah. you know, trying to fix my cold plunge broken. You know, it's like, <laughs> exactly. they're not going to post any of those things. Right. Like it's only going to be like, get ready. New year's Eve yeah. coming up on the moon. And you're like, what, how'd they get booked on the yeah. moon? Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then you're it's calling totally. you and complaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and you're like, no, they're not really booked on the moon. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, I know it must be. Yeah. I think that's, those are all good points. And I think if you go back and listen to all the stuff we talked about, I mean, 
all of those play such a huge role in being successful as an artist um, and just getting you to one point of it, you know, and then right. a lot of the other stuff is who knows, you know, just luck mixed with hard work mixed yep. with uh, all opportunities and patience and all that stuff. Right. Yep, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, look like a lot of artists get lucky too. Like that yes. is definitely a part of this game. We've got lucky, you know, throughout the career, right. the luck doesn't come just because it comes right. It's it, the luck comes because of things that we've done before to kind of almost create that luck in a way, you know? Yes. But yeah. ultimately, like things happen. You never know what's going to happen. Like one thing could pop off on TikTok one day and your right. life could change, you know? Right. Like it's kind of crazy. Like the yeah. world we live in is cool because that's what I like about music is there's no ceiling to what we do, right? right. Like a lot of other jobs, you go in, you work your nine to five, you have your set salary. Totally. It's like, you know what you're going to make, right? You're comfortable. And that's great. Like a lot of people love that, you know, right. that security and whatnot. I'm driven more by the being unsecure, right? In, infinite, in terms of just you know? like, you don't know what's going to happen, right? But that makes me have to work that much harder, right? right? I know any day this could all fall down, but I want to keep working so that I make sure that doesn't happen. Right. So. What, what advice would you give someone that, let's say, blew up on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, went viral off a video or a series of videos, but then they're like, I need a manager or a booking agent. Like what do, what do they do? Like, and they're in the, they're in the Midwest. They're somewhere that they, they're not in LA. They can't just go out at night and meet somebody like what, yeah. what should they do? Should they be reaching out to people or waiting for someone to reach out to them? It's such a hard, yeah, it's hard, thing, right? It's hard to say like in those situations, it's, it's like, you got to look at it. Like, did this thing pop off because it's like actually a good product or a good song or did it pop off because this random thing, right? right. Like, some celebrity used it on their account and it popped right. off that way. Right. But, but if you keep recreating it, maybe you have something. Right. So like you never really know. I think there's, you know, that is a good point. There's a lot of people right now who are in this, this middle ground where they are almost like an influencer first. Right. Yes. And like a social media person yeah. first. And that's how they kind of have a following. And then they got into music after that. Right. right. It's hard to make that work because a lot of people like look at that as very inauthentic, right? right? It's almost like, okay, you've, you know, gained this fan base as a social media influencer. Yeah. And now you just, you want to basically start a new career to try to parlay that into, but you're not a real music producer yet. You haven't right. put in the work to, you know, get to that place, right? Yeah. So you're using your following and putting out songs, but a lot of times other people are making those songs in the beginning, you know, yeah. it's not you. And so True. you kind of start, you can start a project in a very inauthentic way. Like I don't want to work on things like that, you know? Right. Um, but I want to work if somebody is a, is a producer first and they put something out online with their music and that pops off and they're a real producer or DJ or whatever it is, then, then that's more interesting. You know, yeah. now it's like, okay, you have the talent. This thing just happened to pop off for you that got a bunch of eyes on you. Right. Just keep doing what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And it should end up working out. Right. The, the right people will probably find you and reach out to you and you'll figure out the right person to connect yeah. with. I think a good like way to kind of look at that for young artists is once you have people that are starting to hit you up, right. And the demand starting to come to you, that's a good signal that like, okay, maybe it's time to start talking right. or looking for a manager. Yeah. Right? Especially if you start to feel stressed out and you need help with these things and it would benefit you to give someone a percentage of these, if they could work on it and then help right. grow it for you. Right. 
Totally. But then it's about trying to find the right person. And it yeah. is an interesting time because there's people anywhere, you know, yep. doing that. Right. So. And what's going to happen is this always happens, right? You're a young new artist. You start to pop off online. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get reached out to, to probably a, a young, inexperienced manager first, right? right? Who's just looking for talent to, yeah. and sometimes those got those people can be great and they can grow yeah. with you. But a lot of times like they also don't know what they're doing. Right. right. Um, and, and so I think, you know, when those people start to come, it's one thing, but it's when you start to see like real managers who have acts that, you know, right under their roster or have been doing this a a long time. I think when that interest starts to bubble up or a lot of times they won't even reach out, a manager might just go follow an artist, right? Right. Like if you see someone follow you on Instagram or whatever, now they're like watching, right? That means like you've done something to pique their interest, they're going to keep an eye on you. Right. And maybe eventually they'll hit you up if they feel like, you know, you're doing something right. Right. It's like so. sports too, with like agents and they yeah. can see like, okay, we're going to keep watch. And then yeah. when things start like to bubble school, or they're doing college. the right things, yeah, then boom. Totally. The, the people start hitting you up. Um, well, what about like, um, I know you, you know, we we're talking about remixes and you work with Party Favor and Nitty who have the group side piece. Yep. Um, and um, and I know you co-manage them. You're mentioning too, which is probably an interesting situation too to work with two managers, one group. Yes, yeah, it <laughs> um, is. But what I know that they had a remix for a Millie, Little Wayne, which super dope. I heard the remix. I saw when they came out with it. I was wondering if it was official. Then um, I read that it was. And then uh, can you tell the story behind that a little sure. bit? Yeah. Um, so they actually made that remix just as like a bootleg. They started playing it in their sets. Like nobody ever thought we were going to go try to get it cleared or right. it was just kind of like, Hey, we made this thing. We've been a fan of that song and Lil Wayne obviously forever. Yeah. Right. Um, so it started being played in the sets and the fans were loving it and we were having all these great moments. And then at a certain point I was, we were like, okay, we should try to put this out. Right. Everybody told us like, you're not going to be able to get that cleared. Like they've never cleared in a Millie remix ever since the song came out. Right? right. I'm like, okay, let me go look up who the label is. Right. Look it up. It's cash money. I'm like, who's cash money under They're under Republic records. Right. Or have partnership or whatever their deal is. Right. Um, <clears throat> so then I go to a buddy of mine at Republic records that I know, yeah. um, sent him the remix. I showed him everything that was going on and showed him the videos of side piece playing it or showed him the crowd reactions, other DJs playing it, gave him all that info. I'm like, Hey, we got to make this official. How can we get this done? He's like, let me go to Lil Wayne's manager. Who's Mac main and see what he thinks. Right. Yeah. So he sent Mac main the remix. I think a day later, maybe even the same day Mac replied like remix. This is fire. Um, I have the text message. Uh, and from there we started talking about making it official and we made it official and it came out we did a collab post with Lil Wayne. I think oh, we're like a, our video sitting on his Instagram right now. It's like, so dope. yeah. And that's like my like idol. Like I, I mean, I, he was like the guy that I was right. you know, back in the day. It was like Lil Wayne, Eminem, you know, yeah. those are my guys that I listened to Jay-Z. Yeah. You know, so oh, that's amazing to be able to like, be a part of that was pretty cool. Right. Yeah. You know? And now you're, you guys are in there for the, for history all yeah. forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. 
And then what about, you know, we discussed the Grammys a bit, but uh, I know you had like back-to-back nominations. You talked about the Kobe thing, you know, and Wookiee and all that. Um, What was the second nomination? What's the story behind that? Yeah, second nomination was with Sidepiece, actually. Um, That was for their song, On My Mind, which was the classic Diplo. Classic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Every DJ was playing it, right? Um, That one is funny because... That was our second song ever that we put out for side piece. We put one Amazing. song out, it barely did anything. What was the first song? I remember it. <sighs> Wanna See You, I think it was called. Um I like, don't know if I remember it then. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally like probably like the least played song out of <laughs> out of the catalog. But have um, to have it. Yeah. Um yeah. But on my mind, we you know, put that together with Diplo, put that out on his label Higher Ground. Right. His um, name is on it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, he's it's a collab with him. It's with it's him. Diplo yeah. and Side Right, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, you know, he started playing it out and whatnot. That one was a funny one because that song started blowing up. The pandemic hit, right? So then we had this crazy moment for side piece, like side piece has literally one of the biggest songs and dance at the time, yeah, if period. not the biggest. Yeah. Right. And we can't go tour. Right. And for an artist to not be able to go be in front of people and play this in a festival setting and in clubs and everything when it was like it was that type of song. It was a song that was played live by DJs and all of that, you know? Yeah. So the song still went crazy, did crazy numbers online, like, you know, did all this stuff. But the fact that we couldn't even go like work that song for a whole year and a half or whatever is like insane to me. You know, that song would have been Uh, so much bigger if we could have got out there, you know? Um, But yeah, that song ended up getting nominated for best dance song of the year in 2021, I believe it was. And that was the year that we couldn't go to the Grammys. Right. So it was like pandemic was happening. Grammys weren't happening that year. We're like, man, we've worked so hard to get to this point. And like, it's like amazing and disappointing. Yeah. And for Dylan, who's party favor, like I've been working in with him for 10 years at that point and we've never had a Grammy nomination yet. And then we get this one and it's like, all right, we're going to go to the Grammys and pandemic kind of mess it up. That's but nuts. It is what it is. The guys got to, they went over to Diplo's house and they did their little video on screen when they oh, did yeah. the presentation and, and then Diplo threw a party that night, I think. And that's that cool. Was that. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I was saying earlier that like, that's probably one of the biggest purple disco machine remixes I heard, you know? Yes. Um, and that kind of didn't put him on the map. I mean, he's done so much and he's done so much himself, but I feel like it was, it was almost like a, not like a crossover thing for him in a way or yep. into the open format DJ, you know? And I feel like it was a, the type of song that our kind of DJs can play, you know, in yes. every, every situation and wanted to find this and it was cool to find the sample and go oh it's from that song they just looped that and right you know repeated it and yep um i assume you guys had to clear that sample yes yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> is and that group they were probably whoever owns that is probably happy because oh for sure i mean you know what's funny is what is that normal song doing i mean i'm sure it's listened to here and there right. but not like i mean if you big. go look at the credits um missy elliott is a writer on it. Oh, Sting yeah. is part of it. No, actually, yeah. So like, literally, <laughs> Sting and Missy Elliott are making money off of all my mind. You know, That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, um, you would never think. You would never. Yeah, you wouldn't. But. Sting's like, I'm making money off everything. I don't care what is yeah, going on. For real. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of shit he is, his name is probably on to right. be, you know, that's sampled that you right. have no idea. And that's the thing about like, that's what's cool about music, right? Is you can make a song now yeah. and 
20 years from now, it could make another million dollars because wow. some new artist took it, resampled it, put yeah. it out. You know what I mean? You're getting a percentage of all of that because right. you own the original, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and in a way, it's a cool way where people are like, you know, building businesses for like their family and generations and to pass oh, yeah. on. That's what you're doing with music. You know, you're creating these things that live on almost in a business sense and you can pass on to your family and like, yep, totally. Can you never know what's going to happen to them? You know, and there's probably hip hop artists now that from 30 years ago, their songs are blowing up again or they're being used a ton for this 50th anniversary stuff and remixed. And oh, yeah. Even Lil Wayne song, you know, I think it's a classic song, but maybe it wasn't, didn't have as much of a life, you know? And so for them to be like, oh, look at this, we're in a whole new world with a whole new, the people listening to it might have been five years old when it came out, you right. know, listening to the, to your guys' remix. Right, totally. Yeah. You know, what's funny about the, the Lil Wayne thing too is like timing is such a big thing too. Right. Because he was about to have this new moment, right? Like yes. he was about to go on tour. He was going to release some new music. He, yeah. I think he just got done with his tour. He's doing it now or something, but, um, I think he's coming out with a new album I just saw as well. Mm -hmm. So, oh, wow. but this was kind of the first, I think thing that kind of started like the next phase for Lil Wayne. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, if how this is looked at, but there may have been a, a world where we went to them a year before that and it wasn't timed up with what he was going to do and he True. wasn't very active and they might've just shot it down, yeah. you know? So yeah. like, and I don't know, you know, we, you never know those things, but sometimes right. that's what I'm talking about. You get lucky sometimes. Like yes. we didn't get lucky with making an amazing remix, but you know, we got lucky maybe with the timing of it all coming yeah. together and Lil Wayne, what he was doing with his career and when we wanted to put it out and all that. Makes sense. So. That's cool. And what about, you have a crazy story from Coachella uh, with Jamie Foxx and Tyga and Rich yes. the Kid and Iggy Azalea and Katie yeah. Holmes. You, yes. <laughs> Weird grouping of humans. I know, when you hear all those <laughs> names together, you're like, what? <laughs> what? What is that? Can, yeah. you, can you tell us the story? Yeah, that was um, Party Favor playing Coachella. Um, we were playing on the Sahara tent at the okay. time. I think this was like 2017, maybe somewhere around there. All right. And, uh, yeah, so basically we, you know, Coachella is a big moment for any artist, right? Like for a lot of people who don't know, a lot of times you only get to play Coachella like once, maybe twice in your career if right. you're lucky. Right. Um, it's not one of those festivals like EDC where you see all the DJs every, every year, year for the most the same part, thing, right? Yeah. It's like, you need to be hot at the moment, have a big moment going on, have, yeah. you know, and then you get booked on Coachella, right? right. So making it to Coachella is a big deal. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that like when you go into Coachella, you are, you're doing that to create a moment for yourself and for your career. It's not really about the money that you're going to make off of it or anything. Right. Artists will come in and basically take a lot of the money, if not all the money that they get paid for the gig and spend it on the show. Right. Bringing in production and special talent and yeah. whatever it may be just to level it up. Right. Right. You can go play on the stage with just a DJ booth and your CDJs if you want and not bring anything in and that's fine. And they'll let you do that. But right. ultimately like, everybody else is bringing all this crazy stuff. So you yeah. got to kind of, yeah. Compete, like you said, it's you know? for the moment you want to take advantage of it. This is something that could live on forever and, and right. catapult you to a whole new level. Right. It's like a showcase of like who you are, you know, yes. to the world. Right. Um, so especially with the live stream now, like before yes. it was just, you would go and be like, did you see that? Oh man, I saw Tame Impala next to this other band. But like right. now everyone on the planet earth can watch it, record it, put it on their thing. It goes viral. Oh yeah. So I feel like it's next level. And it's such a premier festival that everybody pays attention to. Yeah. It, right. And it, it's not like 
just an EDM festival, right? It's like, it's every genre. Everything. So there's only so many slots for even dance artists, right? To play right. there because, you know, there's not a hundred slots like there is at EDC or yeah. 300 slots or whatever. True. Um, so yeah, so we basically, you know, I'm like, okay, let's make a big moment. So we put together some cool production. We got all this stuff going. We wanted to bring out some special guests. So we wanted to get creative with it. We wanted to bring out some people you wouldn't expect or whatever it may be. Yeah. And so I started reaching out to people I knew, connections, whatnot. And one of my friends is good friends with Jamie Foxx. Um, I went to him. He ended up talking to Jamie. Jamie's like, I would love to come out to Coachella, right? So yeah. we basically made the deal with Jamie, had him come out first weekend. Um, he ended up bringing Katie Holmes with him because they were dating at the time. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think it was like under wraps at the time, maybe. Right, something. I remember it was like a rumor. Yeah, they like we couldn't post a photo of them or anything like that, I think. Uh, that is a funny couple. Yeah, yeah, right. So She's like, who's the opposite of Tom Cruise? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Foxx, right. all right, let's go. Yep. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, so yeah, so Jamie brought Katie, so they show up together, right? Then I got Tyga to come out with us. Um, Tyga was dating Iggy Azalea oh, at the time, wow. so they come together, right? Power couples going on here. I know. So <laughs> Jamie and Tyga bring Katie Holmes and Iggy Azalea, um, and then we also had Rich the Kid come out. Right. Um, I, we were doing a couple songs with him. I just yeah, like, I texted him and he ended up like being at Coachella and so th cool. the day before. Um, and yeah, then we brought all them out. Um, we also brought out Alice in Wonderland for a set as well. Wow. And Jamie loved it the first weekend. Um, so much that he hit us up for the second weekend. It was basically like, Hey, can I come back the second weekend? So like, <laughs> I didn't even have that plan, but he like wanted right. to come. So I'm like, yeah, of course you can come with us. <laughs> yeah. So he came back the second weekend, performed the second weekend also. That's so dope. Um, and yeah. And that was that. And so there was a moment that we were like in the trailer and it was literally Jamie Foxx, Katie Holmes, Tyga, Iggy Azalea, Alice in Wonderland, party oh favor, just like all hanging out together. And I'm like, like um, this is crazy. what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like looking around like, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So. What about, how did you guys decide how much, um, stage production to do or how much money to put into it or what even to do? Because like you said, it's like, you could just bring the CDJs. I think I've seen people just do that. Right. And then you've seen people build the most insane thing ever. Where you can't even see where they are, you know, yep, um, totally. inside of the structure. Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, there's no answer to that. I think right. it's kind of like whatever you want to do as an artist to yeah. me, it's like, that's the moment you go for it. Like you may never right. get that shot again. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, look, it's like find creative people that can come up with these ideas that are even beyond your, if you don't have the ideas. Right. right. Totally. Yeah. You work with, you can work with a creative director. Like, yeah. you, you know, you work with like a show designer. A lot of times there's yeah. the visual element, right. You make custom visuals for your show. Right. So that's like a VJ doing that stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So visuals, I think are one part of it. It's, you know, creating a custom set, like not the same set you'd play at every other festival, like maybe doing something different for Coachella, right. um, creating these moments and, and then on the production end, like that can go any way you want, you know, yeah. like we, I don't know what we end up spending, but I think we took 
our entire fee that we got paid for both weekends and just put it into the production right. and everything we were doing, maybe even spent more like out of our pocket, you know, yeah. but it was worth it. That was a totally. big moment for party favor. And we made all that money back within six months because of, you know, because of Getting what it did to the people career. seeing that and yeah, right. all of it. Yeah. So there is an element of like investing in your career for sure, yes. you know, and a lot of times you see these big shows that people do at, at the shrine or even bigger places. Right. And they have crazy production. Sometimes they're spending all their money on that production. Right. right? And they, it's like sold out and everyone's like, you're killing it. And it's yeah. like, little do you know, we just lost $5,000 or yeah. $20,000. Totally. You know? But that moment made them, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars right. more, or a million more. an entire Asia tour, you know, yeah. with that setup or whatever it is. Right. Totally. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. It is all an investment, you know, and, and, and all that's even what I tell people like, Oh, I don't know. Should I work with this manager or this booking agent or this thing or that? And I go in a way you're investing in something that might not work. That's what investing is. So if you work with this person, you believe in them, you pay them a percentage of your career for a certain amount of time. It doesn't work. You invested in something that didn't work. And if it does work, then you just invested in something that worked and now it's all coming to fruition. So that's, kind of how you have to look at those relationships too as well right i mean obviously you want to have the good gut feeling about the person and both be on the same page and in a way it's like being married i mean i'm sure you yeah there's so many things you deal with you talk to them more than your spouse sometimes yeah, and totally. and deal yeah. with so many things and probably get in arguments about dumb things just like you know yeah. relationships but you need to have that same type of person that you can get married to that you could be in that relationship with as well. You know, right. that you can get in the fight and then make back up and go, sorry, man, you were right. Or yeah. whatever oh, yeah. it is. No, it's absolutely. There's <laughs> so much stuff that goes on every day in this, sure. this game. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, speaking of party favor, um, and side piece, um, he is, I don't know if he's the only or one of the only artists that's doing two Vegas residencies. One as party favor, one as side piece. Yes. Yeah. So I where don't are really those? know the stats on all <laughs> right, that. I don't but either. Yeah. Honestly, like I don't really know of anybody else that's doing that currently in Vegas that I can think of. Who it's true. Is basically the same person, two different right. projects, two different residencies. I feel like the only one I could think of was like when Diplo yeah. did Diplo major laser. Yes. And I remember he was at two spots and then maybe even Jack, you, I think right. they would throw in there for yeah. <laughs> good measure. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, but I think I can't think of many other, if any other people doing yeah. that. Yep. So what are they with two different companies or just as two different same, acts, both with same company? Uh, yeah. So Tau group, Tau group. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Um, um, originally, so party favors was signed to Hakkasan group, Hakkasan Tau group merged. Right? right. So now it's Tau group. Um, and yeah, so both with, with Tau group, but they play different venues actually, which is interesting. So right. Tau group, if people don't know, have, um, venues like Hakkasan, Omnia, Wet Republic, Tau Beach, you know, right. venues like that. So side piece will play like Tau Beach, for example, party favor sometimes plays Tau Beach, but he'll play Wet Republic also, oh. but side piece doesn't play Wet Republic. Right. And then like in the clubs, like we'll have party favor playing Hakkasan and Omnia for the most part and side pieces doing like marquee. Right. So yeah, it just kind of depends on like the, the music genre and you, like side pieces, more house obviously. Right. Um, and how they have their club programmed, but right. Yeah. Which night it is. And I know yeah. it's all that, but Vegas is cool. I love, you know, the Vegas residencies are great. It's like from LA, it's a 45 minute flight. You get it's off the, the plane, they pick you up in a car, they take you to the hotel. Yeah. You know, your room's ready for you. You get 
free dinner. Like, right. yeah, it's great. They take care of you for sure. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's definitely one of the pinnacles of being a DJ and dance yes. music DJ and being able to have a good deal in Vegas is, yeah. uh, one of the best things. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I think what a lot of people don't realize is Vegas is one of the only places that you can play like week after week. Right. Yeah. Because every other market that you play in, you only really want to play there like once or twice a year. Right. Right. Because once you've played there once, like fans aren't going to buy your tickets again if they just yeah. saw you last month. Right. right. But Vegas, but in new Vegas crowd every there's week. a new crowd every week coming. Yeah. Right. So it's like you're playing the market fresh every week or however often you play. Yeah. So that's so the beauty of Vegas. And that's why there's residencies in Vegas, but there's not residencies like right. all over everywhere else. Yeah. You know, and there are people are coming there to party and go crazy every single night. And there's a convention every single week. Yep. And so there's always something going on and always money being spent. So it's not right. like, Oh, it's a slow season. And even Miami or like different things where right. it's like that, you know, totally. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of DJs don't work in Vegas because right. they don't play like the music that works in a Vegas club. Right. Or they're yes. too niche of a sound or whatever. Like in yeah. Vegas, you kind of got to play a little bit of everything for sure. Know? Um, so yeah, it, Vegas is very interesting. Yeah, place. no, we, I had nightmare on here and he's t- had some really funny clips of just talking <laughs> about, you know, doing his thing and playing, you know, his music's very aggressive and right. all that, but also he's like, I got to shout out Bob from the concrete convention, yes. you know, and like cater to those people and totally. do my open format set. Like, you know, so yeah. yeah, it's a choice. I mean, if you're a very, I guess, you know, an artist that's very like I will not change for anyone, you know, mm-hmm. then it's hard to do. But right. I mean, if you're willing to do it, you know, can make some good money and have a good time. And, yep. um, and I think that party favors music really lends itself good to Vegas. Cause I know I does, play a yeah. ton of it, uh, there and I think it really lends itself well to, to that, you know, yep. I agree. And Wookie. I mean, I don't know how, I don't see him playing there very much, uh, no, but we're, that's something we're working on, you know, but that's I mean, the next step. I think. The funny thing so. is I don't see him playing there. Probably 99, if not a hundred percent of the DJs are playing his songs. Yeah, like totally from the openers to the closers to the headliners. Like really, it's, true. I bet you they all have at least one of his songs I in so. their, you know, the set. So yeah, he just needs to get the right, I guess, I don't know what it is, you know, place, deal, time, whatever, right. place and a time. But, um, yeah. And just, he seems like a cool dude, you know, just like a happy, like, he is, yeah. Uh, fun person. Yeah. yeah. He's very, he's very down for anything. Yeah. Like, that's what's fun about Where him. does he live? Uh, he used to live in LA, but during the pandemic, he moved to Denver. So he, oh, okay. he lives in Denver now. Okay. Yeah. He's in Colorado party favor out here. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, man, this has been amazing. Honestly, I feel like it's a master class in like, I don't know what, what, what managers do, what artists can do, what DJs could do if they want to transition into being more of a producer artist. Um, and even if not how to take those elements and all the things you've described and apply them just to a DJ career, you know, you could take the things that fit, you know, and plug them into there. So, um, thank you for sharing all this stuff. Really interesting. Are there any other things you want to discuss or any kind of advice you have for people out there that we haven't hit on? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think the best advice I could give artists these days is times have changed since the old days and ownership is starting to become everything for artists. 
ownership meaning, you know, being able to own your masters and own certain assets that you've put out over the years. Back in the day, you know, labels owned everything. Mm-hmm. There, you couldn't really get a deal where you owned your own masters or whatever, but now right. you can. It's a more common thing. So I think really pursuing that, that's that's thinking ahead, right? right? So it's like right now as an artist, a lot of times early on in your career, you're all you want to do is you want to make music, you want to play shows, you right. want to go out there and be in front of people. That's what you're focused on. That's all you really care yeah. about, right? Then you get all that and you're like, all right, now I have all this, right? I know that I'm not going to be able to keep it going forever, right? Like how long can a DJ career B, right, right. you look at people like Tiesto have had a, a really long career, yeah. but like there's not a lot of people that can do what Tiesto has done and, yeah. and keep going till they're 50 years old or whatever, right? So at a certain point you stop touring and stop going on the road and and money becomes the thing. Like now you're not making that touring revenue anymore right. and you're not active getting all these appearance fees or whatever. Yeah. Um, so how are you gonna actually like set you, yourself up for retirement, right? If you weren't investing along the way or in smart, things or whatever, um, owning your masters and having a catalog of music, both on the master side and even the publishing side and being able to sell that one day, if you want to, that's where you can really, you know, retire off of this career. So such a good point. Um, but I guess just on the other side, what about, do you think, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think sometimes people get too caught up in the business side before they're at that level Yes, and they worry like, no, I was told to keep my masters or I was told to not make this deal because my split isn't fair. When in reality, if you would have just put the song out with Diplo or whatever it is, you could have been catapulted to a whole new level where then you're making those deals. Is that a True. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. For sure. So sometimes just taking, not being taken advantage of and you attempt to try not to be taken advantage of, but sometimes just doing something, especially with the knowledge that you've worked this hard to get here and you know, you have the skills to keep making new music. Music is infinite. You can keep making good things. Maybe it's good to take a deal that might be beneficial for, I know everyone makes fun of exposure and yes, you don't want to do things for free and for exposure and get ripped off. But there are deals where it's like, okay, maybe it's not the best deal in your favor for your masters or for these things, but it can get you the the de- you know the exposure or whatever it is yes. to get to the next level, and then you can make those deals. Then you can worry about the masters owning the masters. That's a great point. Maybe yeah. you didn't own the masters on the first one. You know, hopefully it's not a BAP you that's getting licensed right. all that <laughs> after. Right. But um, yeah, is that is that something yeah. people should? Totally. Because I think early in your career, like you don't have the leverage to necessarily negotiate that or like own your own master. Yeah. So I think ask for it, like always ask for it. Like it's basically a license deal is what it's called, right? Where essentially what it is, a label gets to work a song and make money off it for a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm. like 10, 15 years. And after that, you get the master back. Like they don't make money off the song anymore. You own it fully. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. Right. Um, but I think ask the question first and foremost, and if you get turned down, then yes, at that point, look at where you're at in your career. If it's something that's going to help move your career forward and set you up for more opportunity in the future, then it's probably worth it to just do it. Don't worry about the percentage or owning that master. Now know that you'll get it later. Right. But eventually you'll get to a place where like everything going forward, like you can own all your masters cause you have the leverage, you know, yeah. and people want you and you're in demand. So they're going to give you that deal. Right. So, yep. That's but yeah, cool. I think ultimately like there's a lot of opportunity that comes up for artists early on and it's, you really do kind of need to make the right decisions. Um, and don't let money 
drive the career. Like ultimately right. for every decision you make is, is this helping my career? Is this going to be good for me long-term? Right? right. Think that first and then the money comes second, you know? Yeah. Is this something you truly want to do? Because you might spend a lot of, this might become your life and you might spend a lot of time doing it, whether you get a ton of money or not, yep. are you going to end up being happy? Yeah, totally. And the more successful you get, the harder you have to work. I think right. that's an, one thing people don't realize is a lot of people think it's the opposite. Like, hey, yeah. I'm going to blow up, get successful, and then I'll just chill and put out a song a year or whatever. Right. And it'll be cool because my fans are, you know, all paying that's attention. That's so true. The like, more successful you get, the harder you have to work. And the more the stakes go up and the pressure goes up and yep. the people asking questions and every single thing goes up. And that's why I think people do have a hard time understanding why someone who is successful and should be happy and rich could be upset or yep. could feel more stressed than someone that's just like working at McDonald's and making beats on the side or whatever. Right. Totally. So yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, what about, uh, any future kind of goals or initiatives or things that you're working on, uh, for your company or clients or for yourself or, yeah, I mean, look, I've been doing the management thing for a while. Um, yeah. good over a decade now. Yeah. Right. I love it. It's great. It's fun. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. I think as you get older, it gets harder and harder to be in this game. You know, right. as you said, um, you work every day. Yeah. I work every day. Every about night. To have a kid, right. Yeah. There's all these things. So I'm really focused on trying to build other things now kind of around management that yeah. help the management still and like all kind of work together. Right? right. So we are, I'm starting a publishing company, for example, that's like something I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, been working on it for a while so I can really help that's artists cool. like on the back end with their music and really, you know, maximize their catalog and things like that. Yeah. That'll help my current artists that I manage plus allow me to work with other artists that I don't manage. Right. Right. Um, on a different level. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's something you know, maybe we'll do a label one day. Yeah. Know, that's maybe in the cards. Right. Know, no plans right now, but, but yeah. Um, and then, you know, I have some other things I can't really talk about yet, but maybe we'll do another podcast. All good. And, yeah. And, when those and, launch, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yo, Ryan, thank you so much for spreading all this knowledge, you know, um, on the podcast and beyond and taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, man. This is fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Really good time. All right. Well, uh, hopefully I'll see you soon at a, one of Wookie or party favor show or something. Yeah. You got to come out. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, I mean, the good part is that I'm working working a lot. Uh, so I guess that's why I can't come, but on a night where I'm not, I'd love Side to come. Piece plays the shrine Ooh. here on November 10th, I believe. So, Oh, okay. You're here. That's possible. Is that a, that's a Friday or something? Or a, I think so. Yeah. I'm coming. Yeah. That's uh that's possible. That actually might be my son's school camping trip. I just realized oh, that. Wow. Night. Okay. <laughs> okay. Talk about dad life yeah. and having kids. Yeah. I'm like, right. I could be at the shrine with party favor and nitty or yeah. in the woods with some yeah, kids. Yeah. I mean, I'm in that <laughs> same side. My, our, our baby is due like two weeks after the shrine. Oh my God. And like if the baby comes early, right. like I might not even be able to go to the shrine. That's true. Know, so it'd be FaceTiming. But it's that. crazy. Like that's a thing. Like that's our biggest show ever. Right. Play side piece playing the shrine. That's, that's the huge. biggest show we've ever done. Yeah. And I might have to miss it because of a life event. I'm at, I know. You know, so that's life. Yeah, that's life. <laughs> yeah. You pick your, pick your things, but some things 
It, that's hard because I was going to say some things may never happen again in life, but that could be both of those. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so right. it's hard. Yep. Well, it's in LA. Maybe you'll find a way to do both. I yeah, don't know. right. I'll go to the hospital. I think the baby will wait. Maybe. The baby will be like, oh, dad has to go do that. I'll, yeah. I'll wait a couple I'll weeks. I'll come tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I feel it. The universe will make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yo, thank you. Hopefully I can come to that show. If not, we'll figure out another one. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. What a great episode. So much amazing information in there. A lot of gems were dropped. Uh, I hope you guys can get a lot out of it. If you have anyone that you think could get a lot of out of it, out of it, please forward this episode to them. It's, avail- uh, it's available everywhere where you can watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, all the places. Thank you guys for the support. The 20 Podcast is produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. I'm DJ Spider signing off. Peace. And that was The 20 with DJ Spider.